So let me just explain how this evening is going to work. Um, if I can ask you this, this is a good time to check your phones, make sure that they're shut. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I've never seen that much of a response ever to anything I've ever said in church, ever. Wow. Well, if anybody has the Rapture app, maybe you can turn that on. Oh, yeah. No one, no one but Armand has that. Gentlemen, here's how it's going to work. Um, we are going to try to cover pages one to three in the packet that you should have access to now in our first hour. That is up till seven o'clock. I'm going to try to leave a little bit of time at the end of page three so that if you have any questions about what we've covered or about preaching in general, you can ask. All right. So there will be time for Q&A. Uh, so maybe you can jot the questions down so that you don't forget them. Later on, we can address them. But so we're going to teach pages one to three, then we'll have Q&A, then we're going to take a break. So plan your bathroom breaks and all of that stuff. We'll take five, ten minutes break. You can order more coffee. There will be more pizzas. Should be fresh. We've, we've worked it out so the employees will stay and cook the pizzas just on time for us. So by seven o'clock, they should be ready. And then we'll come back and go at it for another hour until eight o'clock and try to get you guys home by then. Now... Guys, we don't have a homiletics class in Bible school, and that is not, uh, it's not something I'm super happy about. It's just the way that the schedule works. It's, it's a timing thing. As God opens up the time for it, we'll, we'll add this to the curriculum and we'll spend more time talking about it. In lieu of that, I will say you're going to get more homiletics teaching in the next two hours than I have done probably in the last five years. I have put some serious time and effort into preparing this. So I've tried to stew it down and give you as much concentrated uh, information as possible. So you guys, please feel free to continue eating, drinking your coffee. I'm going to dive in uh, on page one. And we will eventually be looking at various things in the Bible. But for now, I'm just going to get you familiar with some of these important terms. As you can see at the very beginning of page one, homiletics. You maybe hear me use the word in there's a decent chance you don't understand what it means. For years, I didn't. It's, it comes from the Greek word homiletikos, which means the art of preaching or writing sermons. Hence, you can see the heading at the top of the page, the art of preaching. And it is an art. Gentlemen, it is an art. Uh, there are very few people who wake up, roll out of bed, and all of a sudden, they're a wonderful artist and can paint lovely. But it takes time. It takes effort. Uh, underneath that, sub point A, a homily... How many of you are familiar with that term, homily? Anybody know that term? As a Catholic, I knew that term growing up. I didn't know what a sermon was, but I knew what a homily was. A homily, it is a sermon. Properly defined, it means a religious discourse, which is intended primarily for spiritual edification rather than doctrinal instruction. It's a sermon. It's a sermon. Now, underneath that, point two, exegesis. Here's another term maybe you hear... Uh, used in theological circles and not quite sure what it means. Exegesis, critical explanation or interpretation of a text, especially of scripture. Now, exegesis, now it can be used in any sort of literature, but it was for a long time used just for scripture, hence the end part of that definition. Guys, let me break it down real simple for you. Homiletics is preaching, exegesis is teaching. Those are just fancy terms for it, okay? It's preaching and it's teaching. 
we're going to be focusing on the homiletical side of this. So part two on page one, the purpose of preaching. Before you spend any time preparing your sermon or even considering whether or not God wants you to be a preacher, you probably need to know what's the point of preaching. Uh, I have given you a few cross, or let's say not cross references, but verses that explain this. For the sake of time, I'm going to let you look those up later if you would like. But in Acts 15, verse 32, two things are mentioned that these preachers did. They exhorted and they confirmed. Now we're going to get to the definitions in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, preaching or prophesying is meant for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, these are things that are listed in the verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31, prophesying is meant for learning. It's meant for learning. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, I think you're familiar with this verse, right? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So I've given you the three things there. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Two of these things on the list, I think, are immediately apparent, and I don't think I need to explain. Comfort and learning. Right? I think those are fairly uh, self-explanatory. There are a few other things I'd like to point out. Exhortation, what does that mean? The definition, if you look in a dictionary, an exhortation is an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. If you want to put this in simpler terms, stir them up stir them up. That's the biblical phrase, actually. Stir up. That's exhortation. I've given you the Greek word behind it. Perakaleo. Perakaleo. That Greek word means to call near, that is to invite or invoke. To invite, invoke, call near. I don't know how familiar you are with the Greek, the Greek words of the Bible, but the Greek word for comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, is parakletos. You can see the root of it here, parakaleo. So there's, if I'm preaching this, I would point that out. And I would say it is the work of the Holy Spirit that stirs people up, and we should be vessels of the Spirit. Uh, he can use us to stir up people. Now, I point that out. You might wonder why all of a sudden Pastor Mike doesn't use the Greek a lot. You're right, I don't. I try to limit it to when it's absolutely necessary or when it will actually add something, right? You don't want to put more salt on the food than is necessary. So this is salt on the food. This helps. Knowing You would not see an uh, exhortation and think Holy Spirit right away. But when you look at the Greek and see the close similarity between the two words, then it becomes a little more clear. All right, exhortation. We preach to stir people up. Uh, Subpoint B, to confirm, to confirm, which means to establish the truth or correctness of something. Now, again, I've given you the Greek behind it. Uh, episterizo, episterizo, which means very similar to support further, that is to reestablish. So confirming, you've already been taught, you already heard this. To confirm is to go back over it. You might remember Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3, to repeat something, to say it again is not a problem for him. He, he is confirming in doing that. You can also translate this word to strengthen. So once you've presented a point, 
then you can offer support for that point. You are confirming the point. Do you, are you familiar with this English word epistemology? Epistemology. The word epistemology is it is the study of how we know things. It's basically the study of why we study or the study of how to study. That's epistemology. How do we know things are true? Do you see the Greek word epistorizo? That's the, that Greek word is what eventually turns into epistemology. So confirming things, this is how we know things. Your sermons should either present new information or confirm existing truths or truths that have already been presented. All right, C, edification. Edification, the moral or intellectual instruction or improvement of someone. This is teaching is a big part of this. I, I've given you again the Greek word behind this because I think it illustrates wonderfully. This isn't going to play into a modern English word. I'm not even sure how to say this Greek word. Oikodomi. <laughs> Oikodomi. It sounds like a, a Bainom for some silly guy. You know, <laughs> But the word, the word means architecture. That, and literally, a structure is how that Greek word was used. So what is edification? It's building. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3? He is a wise master builder. When you preach, you should be building onto people's spiritual lives. Here a little, there a little. So make sure when you preach, you're adding something to them. All right, D, reprove. It means to prove to be wrong, convince of a fault. So Jesus said it like this, which one of you convinceth me of sin? We use the word of conviction. Can you convict me? Can you prove to me that I'm wrong? This can be done very calmly, right? You don't, this isn't an angry type of a thing. There's, it doesn't need to be, right? You're, you're explaining where people have made a mistake and then rebuke. This takes it a step further, I believe, to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. So you can see how reprove and rebuke are, they're gonna go together. You're wrong and this is how bad your mistake is. These are the consequences. This is how dire that it is. All right, so those are biblically some of the words that you're gonna come across for the purpose of preaching. I have, I have tried to get even deeper into the heart of preaching. Number five, what's the purpose? Well, at the end of the day is to help people. You can take all those things we just looked at, learning, comfort, exhortation, confirming, edification, reprove, rebuke. If you are not intending to help someone, then those things can destroy people or destroy you. You'll get in the pulpit and just try to show off your knowledge or your eloquence. You'll get up in the pulpit and just yell at people and criticize. If the heart is not right, if you don't get up there thinking, I want to help, I want to be a blessing. If you get that, then all of these things we just looked at will at some point flow naturally. But you've got to know this. So I've given you the verses. I don't want you to miss them. Matthew 20, verse 26 and 27. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. When you climb into the pulpit, you don't get up as Lord over God's heritage. You're standing up a servant of servants. 
I am here to help you. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. So you're not there to argue. But be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach. We would say able to teach. Patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You see the reproof in that? If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We are fellow laborers together with God. I'm standing up to help, I'll do my part, and then God has to work on their heart and bring them to repentance. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul says it perfectly here. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You see the attitude here. We, want, we are here to serve. We want to help people. Now, guys, if, if that's not there, you don't even need page two. Skip, you don't, please take the pizza and the coffee and head to the house. If you're not intending to help, I, it might seem like a very simple point. And pastor, we already know that. But it's amazing how many pastors, I think maybe start off, or preachers, let's not even say pastors. You don't have to be a pastor to be a preacher. But I think you're aware of this, right? There are a lot of people, maybe they started off with good intentions, but as time went on, they've lost sight of why they're in that pulpit. They're not there to help anymore. They're there to maintain a reputation, maintain a following, and that's dangerous. So page two, page two, and I have no intentions of rushing through page two. We really need to sink into this. The dedication of the preacher. The dedication of the preacher. This is of the utmost importance. Before you'll ever write a meaningful outline, before you'll ever stand up in a pulpit and deliver a message that has any eternal value, this has to be right. I don't care if you're in the full-time ministry or if you are what we call a lay preacher, right? You work a job. It's not your full-time job to preach, but God does give you a chance to preach here and there. There's a place for that in the body of Christ. Either way, there has to be this dedication. Now, especially, I know some of you are praying hard about being full-time in the ministry. So you really need this part. Number one, assurance of salvation. Now again, you might think that seems so obvious. Yeah, you know what? There's a lot of preachers that climb up in the pulpit that have not had a biblical and genuine experience with Christ. And I've, I've given here, you see the asterisks that I've put there? I always use that whenever I'm gonna give an illustration in one of my sermons. When I write my outlines, if I see an asterisk on the page, I know this is an illustration. Now, you should be making a mental note of that because if you want to know how do I order my outline, that's one of the tricks, is an asterisk. So driving with the emergency brake on, can you imagine how frustrating that would be? With K53, that's almost how you guys do drive. It's <laughs> incredibly ridiculous, but every two seconds, the handbrake is going up. Right, but you're not, you're gonna go, but you're, you're really gonna, it's gonna take time. You're gonna ruin the vehicle. That's no way to drive. You're gonna get up in the, pre, in, the, uh, in the pulpit and you're constantly gonna be hesitating because you don't know personally where you stand with God. There has to be an assurance of your salvation. Number two, an assurance of calling. Am I called to preach? Now, whether it's pastor or lay preacher, am I called to preach? You 
you cannot do this half-heartedly and do it right. You, you cannot. You cannot. I've given you some verses. I want you to read this, but check yourself next to it. And I'm, I'm not, this is not a reproving type thing. I'm, I'm offering this to you so that you can examine yourself and see, am I called to preach? Because a lot of guys would like a, an answer to that. And I think these verses will help if you use these as a measuring stick. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him. This is Jeremiah talking about the Lord. I'm not going to talk about him. Yeah. Wow. He was frustrated. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. He said, I got tired of holding back, and I could not stay. I, I couldn't stay quiet. I had to preach. That's what the call to preach feels like. You just cannot avoid it. You cannot avoid it. And if you don't get a chance to preach in a pulpit, you'll find a street corner. And if you can't find a street corner, you'll find some individual soul. And if he won't listen, you'll follow him down the road. <laughs> but you're going to preach to someone. Guys, if I can tell you personally, this is part of how I knew I was called to preach. I started preaching. God never said stop. But there was this overwhelming desire not and it wasn't for everybody to watch what i'm doing because and i know that's the case because i would literally preach to an empty building i just had the word of god it was coming in so much i had to have an outlet i've witnessed to people two or three hours in the night in the evening after work and then i had the key to the church so i'd let myself into the church get up into the pulpit and preach for two hours just because i had to have an outlet I couldn't keep it in. That's the call to preach. That's the call to preach. B, here's another verse. Paul's attitude. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Do you see the attitude of somebody called to preach? He recognizes it's not optional. It is a necessity. Now again, I... We are focusing on the pulpit aspect of preaching tonight. But even as a Christian who's just supposed to preach the gospel to other people, you should feel that necessity that I've got to tell someone. I just can't stay quiet. And when it comes to a full-time preacher, pastor, that type of office or calling, then you just know. I I'm miserable. Woe unto me. I'm miserable if I'm not putting sermons together and delivering them to God's people. This week I have Sunday morning off. It's, it's been a, quite a while since I've had a Sunday morning off. Brother Garrett's going to preach for us. I'm looking forward to that. But I must admit, I woke up this morning, Tuesday mornings. Monday's my day off. Tuesday, hit it hard. I'm ready to go. I got to the desk and went, oh. <laughs> I, I don't get to prepare. And, and that tells me something, right? Even though I'm physically tired, mentally worn out, uh, the, the spirit indeed is willing. The flesh might be weak, but there's something in there that just wants to preach. James 3 verse 1. Interesting verse. My brethren, be not many masters. Now this is what we would know as the MC. 
the master of ceremony, the head of the church, the, the leader. Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Why? The response, right? The, the, you know, Spider-Man's saying with great power comes great responsibility. You have this office. You have this great this great privilege. God's called you to preach and he's gifted you to preach and he gives you grace and he gives you all the resources you need to prepare. And guys, if we're judged based on Jesus said every idle word that men shall speak, they give an account thereof. Words in the pulpit are not idle words. Idle words, that's just standing around chatting. You get judged for that. Imagine when you stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, what comes next should be very calculated. You should take that very seriously. So what I've given you underneath that sub point I there, try not to be a preacher. You want to know if you're called to preach, try to get out of it. And if you can, with a clear conscience, walk away from it and feel okay. And I don't mean this, I'm not trying to put an unnecessary guilt trip on you. Honestly, you might be able to say, I'm, I'm fine with not being in the pulpit. Good, then that tells you where you're at. And there's no shame in that. Know your limits. Know what God has called you to do. Some of you may never get in the pulpit. That's perfectly fine. But if you're sitting out there listening Sunday after Sunday and something in you is just, oh, man, I, I just got to, I got to vent this. You know, it's, I'm taking it in. I got to, got to preach. It's a pretty good chance you're called to preach in some capacity, full time or otherwise. All right. Part three characteristics. I'd like for you to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy chapter two, and we'll begin in verse number 21. A preacher should have these following characteristics at least. There are more, but at least these. Number one, cleanliness, cleanliness. You can see I have alliterated my outline. Do you see that? There are five C's here. So if I'm preaching this, I, I might say this is the vitamin C or the vitamin C of a preacher, something like that, because I have all C's. Cleanliness. What do I mean by this? A blameless testimony. Sanctified. Practicing what he plans to preach. Now look at it in your Bible. 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. This is Paul writing to a younger preacher. He says, If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor. What's the next word? Sanctified. Sanctified and meet for the master's use. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you can see the cleanliness aspect. Sanctified from the filth of the world, from false brethren, <coughs> bad fellowship cleanliness cleanliness part b committed committed what do i mean by this i've told you here intense all absorbing desire to do this now this works with what i just said previously about <clears throat> trying to get out of it and you can't it does follow along with that idea 
But even on the bad days, you know deep down I have to just keep doing this. I, I can't get it off my mind. If you're going to be this vessel meet for the master's use, that's the way preaching should feel. Is you, you, not only do you feel this, but then you, you commit to it. It's one thing to feel the Holy Spirit tugging you that way. It's another thing for you to say, okay, I'll go with. Gentlemen, I think part B right there is what stops a lot of men from being used of God in the pulpit. They will not make the necessary commitment to be a biblical preacher. They'll get by, right? They can get up and deliver a sermon that will be ho-hum and get the, it, it'll fill the pulpit for that Sunday. But to really feel hand, uh, God's hand on you and to let God's people get the help they need, there must be a commitment in your life that I am going to do whatever it takes. I can't help but share with you how this works. Saturday evening, after prayer meeting, you go home and God says, you're going to preach something different. But God, I've worked five days. I've put in 15 hours on this sermon. And God says, yes, but something else has happened. You're preaching something different. And you're up till 2 a.m. making sure that you got that sermon right. Sometimes you wake up Sunday morning and God says something else going on. And he gets you out of bed early. And you go to the desk and you just get the job done. And, you're, and you feel privileged that God would tap you on the shoulder because he knows you're sensitive enough to the leadership of the Spirit of God. Commitment. Gentlemen, commitment. That no matter what it takes, no matter how many people are there, you show up knowing there's only going to be three people in the service. And yet you put in the same amount of time to make sure that message is exactly what those three people need to hear. That's commitment. That's commitment. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Think of the opposite. Would you want to be weak in the grace? Christ has extended you the grace. He's given you the calling. He's given you the teaching. He's given you the resources. He's given you the time, the health, the mental ability. All of that's there. Now be strong in it. If you read this, and we're going to talk more about it in the second hour, Timothy was starting to wane a little bit. He was starting to grow a little cold. That's why Paul's saying this. Timothy, be the preacher you're supposed to be. Be strong in the grace. Verse 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So don't waste time on people who aren't faithful. If you're going to train men, make sure that they're faithful men that will show up on a on a, what is today? Is today Tuesday? On a Tuesday at 6 p.m. At 6 p.m. <laughs> Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you see the word picture that Paul is putting in this young preacher's head? Preacher, you're a soldier. Now be a good one. Preacher, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to endure hardness. You're, the hardness sometimes that you'll have to endure is the hardness of other people's hearts. Week after week, preaching to people that do nothing with what you're saying. And it's so tempting to just throw in the towel and say, forget it. Why? Why am I hitting my head against this proverbial wall? I'm getting nowhere. When God called Ezekiel to preach, you know what he gave Ezekiel? A strong forehead. He did. You can read it. Ezekiel 2 and 3 gave him a strong forehead because he was going to butt heads with the people of Israel. you got to endure 
that hardness. Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him with chosen him. Chosen him. Chosen him to be a soldier. That's the calling. He's called me to do this. Now, I'm going to rearrange my entire life so that I can give myself to this as much as God wants me to. Understand, that'll mean something different to the guy who's full-time in the ministry and the guy who's part-time, that lay preacher idea. But you will do whatever is necessary to make sure you can fulfill that calling. That might, that's where the commitment comes in, to free yourself of whatever entanglements would hold you back. The next thing, competency. Competency. What I mean by that is to say you're properly gifted and trained. You know what you're doing. These are characteristics that you need to have if you're a preacher. Don't expect to just get up and say, man, I'm, I'm excited about the Lord. I love the Lord. Here, let, let everybody listen to me. That's, that's not enough to be a preacher. Uh, verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Competency, yes, you need to be gifted in that the Lord has called you and he has given you the ability to put a sermon together to see the passage properly and deliver it. But then, as any spiritual gift, you need to cultivate that. You need to grow that. You need to work on that art. Right? It's the art of preaching, so you constantly are practicing that. I watched this week Nadal take down Djokovic. Wow, he just ruined him at Roland Garros. I don't know if you like tennis, but it, it was, I enjoyed the match because I like Nadal. But Nadal did not just walk onto the court and win his 13th Roland Garros accidentally. It's not like he's some superhuman guy that just could do that without hours and hours of working on countless forehands and backhands and smashes and search. It takes time. Now, you, it, it helps if you have a natural tendency for, for that, right? If, if, there's, if you're going to be a basketball player, it doesn't work if you're short and white. <laughs> Just, there's certain physical limitations to the game. But still, you, you work with what you have to, and, and you try to sharpen that skill as much as possible. Competency. Confirmation. Confirmation, 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. I believe Paul's intention here is to talk about the crowning that would happen at the judgment seat of Christ. But I believe there's another way to understand it, a more immediate and practical way. Others will not crown you with the compliment of this man is called to preach. You have got to put in the proper work. You've got to do it lawfully. That is, you've got to abide by the structure and, and guide that God has given. And others will recognize it. That's the crown. Others will see it. Now, you can see this in other places in the Bible as well, but I'm just limiting myself to this chapter. If, if you're wondering, am I called? Don't hesitate to ask. And ask somebody that's going to gently... But honestly, tell you what they think. Amen. You, you can ask some people. They don't think anybody's called to preach but them. 
right? You don't want that advice. You want somebody that is genuinely interested in your life, that has seen you, that knows you and has heard you preach, and that can give you some feedback and say, you know what? I don't think this is what you're meant for. Or, yeah, you got something. And you need to keep working with this. And then the last thing, conversions. Conversions. There should be fruit from your preaching. Uh, Verse number six, you can see it here. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. I've heard a couple different approaches to this verse. Some will say that the person who's working in the field, when the fruit comes in, he should be the first one to eat of that fruit because he put in the work there. I understand that approach. That makes sense. But I'm also going to say this. It would probably help if you've already tasted of that fruit, then you know, yes, this fruit is worth working with. So now that I've seen how good this fruit is, I'll put in time to growing this, right? This crop is worth it, right? That, that's how I generally take this verse. He must first be partaker, be, uh, be first rather, partaker of the fruits. So you need to see some fruit from your preaching. This will be part of the commitment. It'll show, wow, this is really worth all the time and effort. I've given you a couple verses from elsewhere in the scripture. John 15, Jesus said this in verse 16. Ye have not chosen me. Now he's speaking to the disciples. This is not about salvation. Yes, this is about the ministry, not salvation. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. I've set you up for this. That ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So he says, guys, I've chosen you, and the evidence of that is you'll see God answering prayers to this end. God, if you've called me to preach, give me a chance. God, if if you've called me to preach, help me put the sermons together, and you'll see those prayers answered. The doors will open Opportunities will come your way and you'll see fruit from your preaching. Now, this is difficult to quantify because sometimes as even in the life of Jesus, he goes to a town and hearts are hard. There's only so much you can do about that. But let's keep it local just for a moment. Anybody in the church because of you? Your your efforts to disciple others, right? Say Brother Mike, I want to be a preacher. I want to to help people. We have lots of opportunities. There's there's hundreds of people walking around in Potch that haven't heard the gospel yet and certainly haven't been properly discipled. We have cell group leaders from other churches that have not been discipled. Some of our guys are starting to teach those guys. Wonderful. But you should be able to look around if you've been in the church for a while and say, yep, I invited so-and-so or I met that guy in the street or something. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? There should be some evidence that God has used you. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You, you got to forgive me. I, I should have put verse 2 in there with, with that. But Paul goes on to say, ye are our epistles. There was living evidence of Paul's calling, and it was the Corinthian church. So if you want to see that I'm, I'm truly an apostle because they were doubting it, he said, you are the evidence that I'm truly called. God's done something. Um, 
Gentlemen, you don't have to be a pastor for 20 years before you see fruit. John 15, you guys help me out for a moment. Jesus was speaking to Peter, James, John, Andrew, so forth. Yes? How many of them were pastors at that point of a local church? How many of them were the, were the leader of the ministry by that point? None of them. They were still in their, they hadn't even finished the four-year Bible school program. Right? And, and yet, even there, he says, you guys, I've chosen you. I've set you up. How did he ordain them? He didn't lay hands on them. How did he ordain them? He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He ordained them by, by bringing them alongside and, and letting them watch how the ministry works and letting them listen to the sermons and, and watch that man's life. Let's work to the next page. Then we'll take a break. Types of sermons. Types of servants. This will not take too long because most of you have heard me explain this, but I am going to, I've restructured this explanation for tonight, okay? Because I want to accommodate some other approaches to types of sermons. Uh, number one underneath this is, I've just written prophesying because that's the biblical term for this. Now, I understand in a lot of churches, they use that term in a very strange way. Right. Prophesying gets very mystical and spooky, yeah. and yeah. It, it, it's twisted. Biblically, it's quite simple. Right? Prophesying is, thus saith the Lord. You are speaking forth the words of God. Yes, in many occasions, biblically, that it will refer to what's going to happen in the future. So prophesying is the proper term for that. But anytime God gives you something to say, then you are prophesying, right? We have 66 books of God's words. When we open the Bible, it says the Bible says, that is synonymous with thus saith the Lord. Amen. You are preaching right. thus. The next thing, point two, expository. Now, the reason I've restructured this is because I'm going to recommend to you guys, if you would like to dig deeper into homiletics, if you would like to get your hands on some very trustworthy material for this, John MacArthur's school, his master seminary, I think is what it's called. He has a man named Dr. Stephen Lawson. All of his lessons are on YouTube. Outstanding stuff. Now, MacArthur, his approach to preaching, I wouldn't explain it the same way. I wouldn't. And I'm going to show you the difference just now. But I understand the point he's trying to make. So let me, that's why I've restructured it. So if you hear other men talk about it, I don't want you to get confused by semantics and terminology. Expository preaching, what does it mean? To explain the scripture. Now, there's a lot of ways to do that. The way that MacArthur approaches it, you open up the Bible and you just preach what is there. You pick a passage, pick a verse, and you, you go through the passage. So for him, teaching and preaching is, is, is very much mixed together. And that is a very good approach. Matter of fact, if I could recommend any approach, that's the approach. Just pick, as I've explained underneath here, pick a book of the Bible, preach through the entire book. You can actually preach one book of the Bible in a sermon. The longest book in the Bible is Psalms. Psalms. You can preach the entire book of Psalms in one sermon. It's a five-point sermon because there are five books in Psalms. Yeah. This is biblical survey class. The book of Psalms is broken into five books. You can say, here's the 
theme of the book of Psalms, here's the major point it's trying to communicate, and here are five things about it. You can preach the whole book. Now, you'll have to zoom out quite a bit, but you can do it. You can break it down and just preach a chapter. Say, today I'm going to cover chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Did I not cover most of it, right? You can break it into literary units. I'll use that term loosely, paragraphs and or passages. Now, the way the King James Bible is laid out, you can look for paragraph markings, anything before Acts 20. After Acts 20, there's no more paragraph markings. But in newer versions of the Bible, it actually breaks it into paragraphs. You can see where these literary units are. You can choose one paragraph or two or three, depending on how long the chapter is. But just preach from that. You make one sermon out of one paragraph. That's, that is an expository sermon. You're just going to go through those verses. And then textual. Now, this is where I, I make a slight difference. In Bible school, I have you do an expository sermon, and I have you do a textual sermon. Technically speaking, a textual sermon falls under the greater heading of an expository. It's just a smaller version of it. But there is a, a much um, greater challenge to the textual sermon. That's why I make a difference in the two. But it is, you're taking that verse, and you're just preaching what the verse says. Yeah? So it's, it's, you're still exposing the scripture to the people. All right, the next thing, E, biographical, biographical. Here you're taking one person from the Bible, focusing in on that person. You can use any verse you want. You can take verses from Old and New Testament, because several characters appear in both, right? And just talk about their lives. Now, you can just choose one passage and focus in on that person's life. But then that's more of the expository, right? But still, MacArthur would classify this as expository because you're just preaching what the Bible says about this. See, where I would make a separate category and say, well, that's biographical because you're focusing on the person. But we are focusing with the Bible, right? So it's, it's one and the same. And then topical. Now, when you click on YouTube and, and go to MacArthur's teaching, he will say topical is bad. Stay away from it. But then if you listen longer, you actually find that he admits, and it's not like it's a contradiction. It's just semantics. It sounds strange. He says topical preaching, stay away from it. If you are preaching about a topic from the Bible, then that is also in his mind expository. Anytime you're explaining scripture, then it's expository. So you can do this in a topical fashion. Pick any topic you want. If you know rugby and if you know the Bible, you can preach a sermon using rugby and then taking biblical principles and using rugby to illustrate biblical principles. And you come out with a lecker sermon. Please try that. Yeah, I won't, because I don't know it. I, I've given you a couple uh, examples underneath this. Danny Castle, a uh, preacher from North Carolina, he, he preached a sermon called Spare Tire Religion. Now, North Carolina is known for this kind of preaching. Um, we'll talk more about that later, some other styles that come from there. But in this sermon, and I, I must admit I enjoyed it, he just got to meditating about his spare tire in his car. And he thought, hmm, now you just save it for emergencies. And <laughs> it's always in the back. And you don't spend a lot of time looking at it. He said, you know, a lot of Christians treat God like a spare tire. Now, every point that he had, you save it for emergencies. Then he gave you a verse of scripture to bring that out. So he bounced around the Bible, right? 
He didn't really pay much attention to the context of any of the verses. He used the spare tire, but then preached from the Bible. Dr. Ruckman, while we were in Bible school, he came to class one night, to homiletics class. He said, gentlemen, tonight, I'm going to show you something that no one has ever seen. And you will only see it for about 10 seconds, and then you will never see it again. He said, are you ready? Tonight, I'm preaching on peanuts. And he took two peanuts out of his pocket, cracked them, pulled out the peanuts, and he said, no one's ever seen these. <laughs> and no one ever will again. <laughs> he had my attention. And then he, I don't know if you're familiar with the verse about peanuts, but it's in Song of Solomon, chapter 6. And he says, take your Bible and let's go down to the valley of fruits and nuts. And then he preached a sermon about peanuts. <laughs> That's this is, you can do this. This is a biblical approach. But again, there's challenges to it because trying to narrow it down, what happens is you don't have the structure of the chapter or of the book. So you're just bouncing around, grabbing ideas from everywhere. It's a challenging style of sermon, but it's a legitimate style if you can use Bible verses to back up your points. All right, non-expository topical preaching. Here's what MacArthur was meaning when he said it's bad. Right? And I agree with him on this point. When somebody gets up and just preaches morality, this is more like the social justice warrior. Yeah, the guy that gets up and says, racism's bad. He's right. He's right. That's, that's good. That's good, but it's not preaching. Let's call it a lecture. And fine, there's a place for that. But that's not preaching. Uh, philosophy. So people get up and just repeat Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Epicurus. And there's these philosophies, just man trying to figure out how life should go. So you can talk about what other great thinkers have, have come up with. But that, that's just the sharing of ideas. That's not preaching. Psychology. You know, you get Freud and Jung and modern days, uh, Jordan Peterson, which I enjoy Jordan Peterson. I think he has a very common sense, logical approach, but that's psychology. Right? He's, he's not looking at things from a biblical perspective, although I must admit Peterson does see a lot of value in the Bible. He's very interesting like that. But Freud, he would say that all of your problems and your bad habits is because your mother didn't you know, uh, hug you enough as a child or something. And people actually put that into their preach. That's not preaching. Yeah, that's, that's modern pop psychology. Popular public opinion. There are a lot of guys that get up and preach whatever is the hot topic. Whatever's going on in the news, that's what they're going to preach Sunday. And they purposely do it because they know that people are interested in it. They're not, you see what happens. They've grown lazy. And instead of actually searching the scriptures and begging God, please give me a sermon that will help people, they just turn on the news and, yep, that's interesting, and I have an opinion about it. I'm going to tell everybody on Sunday. That's not preaching. That's I, almost gossip. <laughs> almost. Uh, politics. And this kind of is in the same vein. You know, they, they get up and they just have an agenda. You know, the, our nation is going down the drain because of this politician and that. Guys, there are verses against despising dominion. There's verses against that. But a lot of preaching turns to that. And then the patriotic. This is something I see a lot of in America. I don't see it as much here in, in Malawi. I didn't hear much of it. So I, I don't know how prevalent it is here. But I include it because 
Some people will take very kindly to a sermon about how great our nation is. Let's make our nation great. Let's make people saved. Right? What reward do we get at the judgment seat for a great nation? What, what is going to make the nation great? People getting closer to God through Jesus Christ. So preach that. And then, and I mentioned here, this type of preaching, forgive me, that's a bit vague. When I say this type, I'm talking about the non-expository topical preaching, not just patriotic. It kind of looks like I just meant that. But non-expository topical preaching is dangerous because it may or may not align with Scripture and it may or may not be grounded in Christ. All of your preaching should line up with the Bible and with the nature of Christ because the Bible and the nature of Christ are going to be one and the same. So if you ever want to know, is my sermon legitimate? Am I on the right track? You can, you can judge it either by the verses of Scripture or Christ himself. And this quote from George Whitfield I absolutely love. Mere heathen morality and not Jesus Christ is preached in most of our churches. This is the man who God, I want to say singularly used. I say that because he used Whitfield more, more than anyone in his day. There were other preachers, obviously, but to bring about the first great awakening. John Wesley did it in, in Europe. But at the same time, George Whitfield, all up and down the eastern border of America, wow. When you read the stories of this man, I, I take seriously his comments about preaching. And he's right. In most pulpits, it's just mere heathen morality. It's just this is right and that's wrong. Stop doing bad, start doing good, and that's as much as you get. They're not preaching Christ. Okay, so as far as types of sermons, I hope that introduces you to the various kinds that you can find, that you can put together. I am going to take you through in the next few pages. We're going to look at more of the expository, looking through a passage, looking through a chapter. Okay, any questions so far on any of this? Yes, sir. Uh, what's the definition of epistle? Is it like a letter? It's a letter. Okay. What yes. is the, the correlation between the epistle and the Greek word epistilos? Is there a correlation between them? I have not made that connection. Yeah, I, um, I would have to look at the Greek word behind epistle yeah. to, to see what a connection there might be. But you, you could, I guess, say that an epistle should confirm. So that, that connection would be legitimate. Yes, sir. On the subject of psychology, are you allowed to use psychological things within your sermon, but not like make that the topic of your sermon? Well, it depends on what the psychological thing is. Now, psychology is the study of human behavior, the study of the, of the soul. So if we're going to talk about how the soul or the psyche operates, the one who created it is going to be the best source of that information. But I know some preachers that say don't even touch psychology. It's completely worldly and heathenistic. and I don't go that far because as we study human behavior, we will come to some correct conclusions. Right? You can do that. So I... I will at least hear the psychologist out, see what he has to say, see if, see if his conclusion matches up with the scripture, and then I might incorporate some of that into a sermon to say, listen, the Bible says it, and even the world recognizes this is true as well. Yeah. A lot of people, just on that, a lot of people would then say, then 
psychology is essentially um, not worthless, but in a way, if the Bible is ultimately the, the authority to which you go to confirm the psychology, then you can just as well put the psychology aside and just hold to the Bible. I think that's why a lot of Christians reject psychology. And I understand their concerns because you go to a psychologist and you're just not sure, am I getting some worldly philosophy and practice or is this biblically based? When you start and end with the Bible, you're on safe ground. So what you've pointed out here is a good thing to, to make note of. If you can use it to illustrate the point, just like I mentioned earlier with using the Greek language, you don't have to know Greek to preach. You don't have, you don't have to do that. But if it will support what you're saying and illustrate it, then feel free to use it. Yes, okay. Oh, Demas, uh, I heard that uh, an epistle is the life of an apostle. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we'll take our first question. <laughs> Do we have another question? Yes, sir. I do have a question on types of sermons. I, I'm just struggling to draw a line between point number one and point two, prophesying mm -hmm. and expository. Yeah, there's really not one. Yeah, forgive me. I... <laughs> I wasn't able to get any more creative with, with how I ordered the outline. I, I'm just pointing out the biblical terminology and then the way that we often refer to it now. When, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next hour. Some people will say that the only way to preach is to stand up, open up the Bible, and preach. But the Old Testament prophets didn't do that. They, they didn't stand up and say, Moses said, and then just expose the, verse, uh, the verses you know, little by little. That there are many ways to properly preach, thus saith the Lord. So that's why I think it's worth looking into all these different methods. Sorry, I had a question in line with that because um, if, if, if preaching is not always prophesying, right, um, then it could easily become extra biblical. In, in, in a sense, wouldn't, wouldn't there be a danger to say, um, if I can prophesy, but it's not an exegesis in a way? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't then that be an extra biblical teaching that you could be could be pushing? I, I would say that prophesying is preaching. Yeah. Yeah, I would make them synonymous. Yeah. Now, all I'm saying is, is because if there is a separation, then that would right. open the door for a prophecy that is not an exegesis and then be extra biblical. Yeah, a, a prophecy, it, it, I see the point you're making. If you make the two things separate, and yes, this came from God, this came from man. But as I see it, biblically, the biblical term you'll find, you'll see preaching is used as well as used, but prophesying, you'll find that all through the scripture. But that is, when we put together these types of sermons, we are exposing what scripture says, that is thus saith the Lord. So I see it as one and the same. All right, guys, let's take a, take a short break.